0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, your normal guy with a lazy eye, right? The title at at this point kind of explains itself. Here we are, episode nine, and my friends still think that the normal part of the title is still up for interpretation. Either way, not changing the title, not changing it at all. But the craziest news that I heard this week, uh, funniest news that I heard this week that I'd share, is that a woman out in Pennsylvania, 96-year-old woman, was the first to ever bowl a 300 at her local bowling alley. And I'm no bowling aficionado, so if any bowlers out there uh, know much about bowling, let me know if this is right. But I'm pretty sure if you bowl a 300, that's a quote-unquote perfect game or at least hitting all the pins on every single one of your rolls. So uh, very impressive. I think that's hilarious. Good for her. Congrats to you. Making it to 96, but also bowling a perfect game. So that's the funniest news I heard this week. And let's get into this week's episode. All right, so here we are, episode nine, coming off the heels of D. Murphy's episode, a lot of great feedback from that episode. So I wanted to follow it up with another very successful entrepreneur, Taylor Offer. Now, Taylor has really made a name for himself, not only in LA, but really across across the country and, and internationally. Uh, we get into some nitty gritty stuff about entrepreneurship. Really interesting thing here. Taylor, while he was at the University of Massachusetts, uh, was told that he is unemployable. So what else better to do than to become your own boss and start your own company? But And, and you can kind of remember this from Dee's episode. There's a lot that goes into starting your own company, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows that all of these LinkedIn influencers make it all out to be. Now, I talk about LinkedIn influencers, and Taylor actually has, and it's self proclaimed, but you know, it's up for interpretation as well the best account to follow on LinkedIn. So, let me know what you think. uh, This week's episode is awesome. Taylor's a great guy. Taylor's a very successful man. Uh, So without further ado, here is Taylor Offer. All right. Well, our next guest, I probably sent um, three or four too many DMs to on Instagram to get this guy to come on the podcast. He is the founder of Feet Clothing. He's a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30, self-proclaimed the best LinkedIn account to follow, and he's been featured in New York Times, Entrepreneur, and Forbes as well. We have Taylor Offer. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. How are things going? How have you been holding up? I know uh, just based off your Instagram, you've made a couple moves. You've done a couple things during this quarantine, but how have you been?
1: have been doing well. I've been in Austin for the past couple months. Um, I was living in LA and I was just, why not go somewhere else? Came back to Austin <laughs> and it's awesome out here. So I'm having a blast. Never been out in, uh never lived in Texas before, so it's an interesting
0: place. Yeah. You've been, you've been a couple of places. You've been, you've been in Boston. You've been in, uh, in LA, obviously park city, Utah. Do you have a favorite yeah. yet?
1: Park city was awesome. So I did, yeah. I lived three months in park city right before Corona during ski season. And it was great because I could ski every day. I do some work. I go, we were skiing, ski out at the place we we're at. And I would just literally hop on the slopes for 45 minutes and then go back to work and then hop on the slopes for 45 minutes. So it was fantastic. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm originally from Orange County, California, so not quite as busy as LA. And then my my parents actually just moved out to Salt Lake City, and then I live in Boston. So I feel like we've we've definitely uh, been in the yeah. same places a couple times. I haven't made it out to Texas, but do um, so was it LA? Just like was it the the busyness? Was it too much? Do you ever see yourself going back, or what's what's the plan there?
1: Yeah, so I was born and raised in LA. And yeah, I love Los Angeles. Um, it's different though. I mean, it's LA is very um, It's a world of very social climbing and like kind of really hyper competitive. Um, Whereas it seems like in Texas or Austin, at least people are a lot more genuine in LA. It seems like everyone kind of has a prerogative. Like everyone's just trying to like get this for that, for that. And it's amazingly encouraging, but it's also extremely toxic at the same time. Um, So it's a tough balance. And I think uh, it's always good to have some balance. For sure. For
0: sure. So I want to get right into it. You know, we talked a little bit about it before the show. I've been a huge fan for you for a while. You've been posting some great content on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, just about your experience as an entrepreneur. I think my favorite thing um, through all of this has been your LinkedIn description of your experience Uh as founder of feet. So I'm going to read it real quick and just to give everybody some context, but so it starts with been through all the shit and still alive, raised millions of dollars, had a team of 20 people, worked with the biggest influencers, celebrities in the world, sold millions of dollars of socks, named Forbes 30 Under 30, and all the good stuff. Been hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, been screwed over by agencies, employees, manufacturers, and pretty much everyone. Outsourced (laughs) the entire team, made everything efficient AF. Now, after four years, we finally have a profitable, sustainable business, in parentheses, I think for now at least. Hoping to be (laughs) as transparent as possible to paint a real picture of entrepreneurship that shows the ups and the downs. So to start, like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Everyone wants to start their own business, but it's not all sunshine and rainbows. So take me through just, we'll definitely get it. We'll, we'll dive into piece by piece, but where did you, how did you get to that description of your, your experience of, with feet?
1: <laughs> well, I'm just, as I was starting in the entrepreneurship world, like it's horrible, man. Everyone just talks about how great they are. And then you're, you're kind of holding yourself to this level of success where people, are only celebrating accomplishments. And you always think the grass is greener. And then as I, as I started meeting more entrepreneurs and hearing their more like behind closed doors stories that they don't say out loud, like they'll say one thing on all the podcasts and I think right. and behind closed doors, they'll be they'll be like, dude, I was so fucked. I had no idea what I was doing. We were screwed. Like, you think this was gonna happen? Like it was a there's no chance it was gonna happen. This is insane. And I'm just like wait, but I heard your story about how you had such conviction and you were so confident (laughs) and that drove me. And I was so impressed by you. And there's like, I got so lucky and I have no idea. And I was like, damn. And the more entrepreneurs I met, like the successful ones, they all had the same story. And I was just like, why doesn't anyone tell this story? And to me, it was frustrating. Like entrepreneurship became sexy uh, in the past, Mm -hmm. probably like 10 years. Like before entrepreneurs were like, just like nerds it's the same way that like <laughs> is sexy like and to be like a programmer or a coder is like sexy but like 10 years ago like you were the nerd and i think for me like i'm not an entrepreneur by choice i'm an entrepreneur because like i grew up with pretty bad add and i like, couldn't pay attention for anything and like my mind just would go other like i i knew i was smart but i didn't fit within the school system it kind of put a chip on my shoulder i was like i have to I, I was i didn't have a choice for entrepreneurship it was my only option um right I've been told I'm unemployable. Uh, <laughs> probably true. Like if I didn't have entrepreneurship, like I probably would be. Um, yeah. So it seems like it really wasn't an option. Uh, but now people are trying to get an entrepreneurship. So like, Ooh, I want to go in and just, you know, make millions of dollars. And it's just like, that's so far from the truth. Um, I mean, realistically, most, on- most entrepreneurs, even the super successful ones, don't make any money. Um, yeah. I learned firsthand from like, being on the Forbes 30 or 30 list and like getting on that first of all, like I remember I thought I was the fraud and I was like, Ooh, I'm the one that bullshitted my way on this list. And everyone is right. so legit. And then yeah. like, as I kind of broke off people one by one, I would tell them that and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe you think that. Cause I think I'm the fraud. And I'm like, damn, we all think we're the fraud. <laughs> and then I've been like with some of these entrepreneurs you read about, you know, them in all these magazines or you think they're this blah, blah, blah. And like, right. You go talk to them. and They're like, yeah, you know, like, I haven't made a, a dollar in 18 months. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, but, but you're verified on Instagram. And, yeah. And, and you've lists. got all these pictures and you've got all like you been on these places. Exactly. And they're like, hey, can you spot me for lunch? I don't have any money. And I'm like, oh my wait, gosh. Wait, wait, I just read an article on how you're a business mogul. Read um, Chipotle. <laughs> exactly um so what i realized i was just like damn like there needs to be more transparency and i feel really bad for the kids who like i i have on linkedin i get people hitting me up every day like hey i'm thinking about quitting my job and starting a company what do you think and i always like anyone who ever tells me like, i'm thinking about quitting my job and starting a company i always say don't do it mm-hmm. and then I, I see the response and i say like don't do it it's a bad idea and You know, most people are like encouraging, like you should do it, like go chase your dreams, whatever. And I'm like, don't do it, you're not gonna make any money. And then depending on their response, like if they say, okay, you're right, they were gonna get eaten alive in entrepreneurship. You have to be pretty messed up in the head and delusional. Like, so the ones that are delusional enough and say, yes, I am, I'm gonna do it. Like, I don't care what you say. I go, okay, you passed the test, you can go do it. (laughs) Um, And I, I endorse you fully and it's gonna work out. But the ones who say, you know what, you're right. It's probably a stupid idea. Not going to work out Mm because to be an entrepreneur, you almost need that delusion to be able to say yes in the face of no.
0: Yeah. So i I want to start at the beginning of this whole journey with Feet. Uh, you know, your senior year at UMass. Take me through like how you got the idea to start Feet.
1: Yeah. So at first, it started earlier than that. Was I joined a fraternity my sophomore year? no freshman year a joined fraternity freshman year basically because I, I came from out of state so i'm from los angeles and i right. know it was my first time going to the east coast so i know one person at the school and it was my first time going to the east coast when i showed up that first day and for some reason i got on a floor like in my where i lived with like all like international i guess they put like the out-of-state students with the international students like
0: yeah that's floor yeah that's what happened to me at providence <laughs> yeah,
1: it's the worst dude like half my floor didn't speak english and like i'm with oh, all man. these dudes and i'm just like college is not fun (laughs) like i couldn't get into any parties nothing like i was just like this is not fun at all so uh, i joined a fraternity and i remember one of the first weeks they're like hey you have to buy this shirt for our upcoming event it's 15 bucks and i was like well i'd have to buy a 15 dollars shirt and i was like my fraternity plus a sorority both they all bought these shirts and i was like wait there's like a couple hundred people between this at 15 bucks like some very simple math Mm-hmm. 200 times 15, what's that? Three, three grand? Yeah. A, I was like, who makes these shirts? Who's making money <laughs> off me? Because I was just skeptical. Like, why am I paying this? And they're like, oh, we just go from this person. I was like, well, what if I made the shirts next time? Would you guys do it? They're like, if you make them cheaper than 15. So I remember just calling around different like t-shirt manufacturers being like, how much does it cost to make a shirt? And just googling it, found out like you can make these shirts for like four, five, six bucks. Um, so I went back to our fraternity and I was like, look, I'll make the shirts for this event. And they're like, how much? Is, it has to be less than 15. And I was like, 14. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, perfect. We're saving money. So then I go and we make get an order for shirts. Um, and then I get all the money up front, which was great. I think it was like 14 bucks a shirt and on 100 shirts. Let's say $1,400. Sure. I go to the local print shop. This is so funny. Like 10 minutes down the road and put the order in with them It's $6 there. So I make, you know, 800 bucks straight cash because the cost is 600 minus four, $14 minus 600 yeah. And in college, like that was a shitload of money. I was just like, wait, literally someone called me and they sent me a file. I called someone else and emailed them the file. They printed the file. I would have picked it up, dropped it off and made it 800 bucks. That's tight. So that was my first <laughs> Jack shirt. Um, yeah. Scaled that out across my college. And then actually went on a cross-country road trip and drove to college. So I drove from LA to UMass and stopped at every college along the way. And just pretty much went door to door in the fraternities and said, how much do you make your shirts for? And if they said 12, I said, I can make them for 11. If they said nine, I said, I can make them for eight. If they said six, I would say, nah, I probably can't make them that cheap. But, uh, (laughs) and what I would do, I'd get the orders from those colleges. And then I would just call the local print shop in that college town and make it from that local print shop and get them to look goodness, this and make my margin. So by, uh, by junior year, I made like about $20,000 a semester. And like, that's a lot of money in college
0: like That is a
1: lot of beer money. <laughs> exactly. That's a ton of money and I was like absolutely killing it. Um and it was fantastic. But that business was really tough. So when you're making custom you, there's a million ways you can get it wrong and there's one way you can get it right. Right. And that was really really difficult because for example, I'd order um I'd order shirts and they'd be like our colors are maroon, not burgundy. And in my mind I'm like Maroon and burgundy are the same fucking color. shut up. And <laughs> nevermind, it's like, no, no, our school's maroon. We're not burgundy. And once you make all that product, the product's worth zero now. So yeah. the product costs. And something else happened. Like one time I made these shirts for a, a big uh, fraternity at University of Arizona. And it was like, I, I can't remember. It was probably like a five or $10,000 order, massive order. And yeah. uh, they, it was pocket tees and they printed the pocket design above the pocket. And the church, the fraternity president called me and it was like, he's like, dude, you got to give me all my money back. And I was like, why? Oh and I was like, fuck, you're right. These suck. I got it. So I had to refund them and take the whole loss of like, at the time taking a couple thousand dollars, like probably four or $5,000 loss in college. I was like, oh my God, that's the most money in my life. And
0: that's like, yeah, that's like heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I didn't like the custom business. Um, mm-hmm. I met this guy, Parker, my senior year, and he was doing custom lacrosse uniforms as well. So I remember I met him. I was like, what do you mean you're doing custom lacrosse uniforms? And he's like, you know, I make them for club teams and tournaments and stuff. Like, I thought it was like a small little stupid business. And I kind of like yeah. brushed him off. Um, and he was like, I've sold over a million dollars by senior year. And I was like, how did you sell over a million dollars of custom lacrosse it's,
0: uniforms? In such a, yeah, niche market, basically. In such a niche
1: market. Like, he was one of the biggest players in the lacrosse uniform market. It's as not a, the biggest. <laughs> as a 21-year-old kid in Amherst, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, which is hilarious and he kept telling me everyone with, the, with their custom uniforms they had crazy sublimated printed shirts and shorts right, and they right. wanted crazy socks to match and he's like we were both kind of like complaining like yeah i hate custom and he's like i hate custom too it's the worst he's like but i'm playing around with this idea for socks like what if we make a brand around it and i was like ah oh, this is genius this is it let's go sell them on campus tomorrow he's like what do you mean I was like, let's go to Ross. We went to like Marshall, uh, maybe TJ Maxx, and bought like every pair of white socks we could white Nike socks, white Adidas socks. We had this little heat press, and it looks like a big Panini machine almost, mm-hmm. like a Panini maker. Right. And it's called Sublimation Heat Transfer. And we printed out all these designs. At the time, we just used Google Images and we googled like cool Hawaiian pattern, cool yeah. this pattern. And, you know, we, we got a couple of seasoned assists and lawsuits from that, but it's part of the learning experience. <laughs> right. We printed 200 pairs of socks that night. We stayed up all night just like, you had to print the design on the socks. You put, you lay the sock flat. You put the paper on top. You press it down for 30 seconds, the heat transfer it, and then the sock is printed. Um, and I remember so well, uh, Parker's like, dude, no one's going to buy these socks. No one's going to buy these socks. And he drops me off outside the dining hall and he goes to look for parking. He drops me off all the big boxes and the folding table. And by the time he came back 15 minutes later, like I had $200 cash in my hand. And he was like, "Ah, uh, you're just messing with me. Like you came with that cash." And I was like, "Dude, yeah. I swear." We were selling them at ten dollars a sock, and I was like, "I swear to you, I've sold twenty pairs." That day, we sold like we sold out pretty much, like fifteen hundred dollars. Right. And if we could sell ten dollars socks to college kids with no money, college kids are broke. If they're willing to pay ten dollars socks when they're going to the dining hall to go eat, they're not even trying to buy socks. Then we knew we had something. So yeah. Senior year, we sold around twenty thousand pairs of socks, which is pretty wild. And uh, that's how Feet was born. We ended up raising about $250,000 the day after graduation and uh, kind of off the races from there.
0: Yeah. And so you graduated from UMass and actually landed a job at LinkedIn in their leadership yeah. program. Did Feet take a back seat or were you doing both at the same time?
1: Yeah, that was a really hard decision to make because my whole time in college, I tried, I wanted so badly to get a job. Like, mm-hmm. I, I and I was... I had such a chip on my shoulder, a coming from UMass, which is a non-target school. So I tried doing investment banking and finance jobs and I kind of right. got locked out of the room. They're just like, you're not smart enough. And I was like, you didn't give me a chance. And it got me so mad. And like, I applied to hundreds of jobs and hundreds of internships. Like I was the kid that like, was just, a, I, I would go so hard networking, talking to every one of the companies. and like, I didn't get a job anywhere. And I tried for three years. I didn't get one job offer. And I was so pissed. And then finally I got one job offer and it was probably, like the, probably the best and coolest job to have out of college working at LinkedIn. Yeah. And that was like my most coveted thing that I worked for for so long. And I was like, wow, I finally got it. So I ended up taking that job at LinkedIn. Um, and it was an awesome experience, really cool, smart people. I really wanted to learn how, I knew I would be an entrepreneur, uh, but I wanted to learn how big organizations work. And I thought it'd be really cool to be at the bottom of the totem pole because when right. I build my company up. I want to know what it's like to be at someone to be what it felt like at the bottom of the totem pole and being, you know, entry-level employee at a company to see how the processes work and to remember how I felt. I thought it was a good learning experience. So I went and worked in LinkedIn after school.
0: And so we talked a little bit about it, um, you know, about, you know, um, you're getting messages from kids all over LinkedIn, just saying like, should I drop my job? Should I d- drop everything and go into an entrepreneurship? What kind of advice do you have for for those who have the idea, maybe they don't have the overhead or the $200,000 in stock sales like you did, but like, what do you, what do you say to those kids? Like, do you, do you stay in the job for a little bit before you get kind of get things going or like, what's the, what's like the secret sauce there?
1: Yeah. So jobs are great because you're, you're learning on someone else's dime and you have to look at it that way. So in your job, either you're learning, I tell everyone that has a job, like I don't get why people hate jobs. They're Mm. fantastic. You're either getting paid to learn and you're learning new things every day and you're growing or you're doing mindless work over and over again that you feel like undervalued or repetitive mindless work. But that's fucking awesome because you get, you're getting paid to think. Like when you're doing mindless work, you're getting paid there to go think about whatever you want. Like I always joke, uh, Parker said his favorite job he ever did, that's my found, co-founder, was yeah. mulch and he would just do yard work and mulch. And like literally you're like, you're just on your knees, just like doing yard work all day. And he said it was great. He got paid to think. He's like, I got paid to sit there and think about whatever I wanted. Like, that's a luxury, Uh, which is pretty awesome. So I was trying to tell people like, look, like, don't quit your job at all. And then start your company on the side. Like there's so many hours in the day. And that's another thing that frustrates me is I feel like people just don't take advantage of how many hours are in the day. Um, And if you're really committed and passionate about it, like everyone says they're busy, myself included. I'm a culprit of it. But like you're not that busy. I'm not that busy. Like, yeah. I say I'm busy, but if you look at my phone screen time, you'll see I spent 45 minutes on TikTok, 45 minutes on Instagram, and 45 minutes on Twitter a day. That's two hours that I could have been doing something else. So like, everyone's busy, but it's like, no, you're not. Just work a little harder and don't quit your job.
0: Yeah, 45 minutes is actually pretty low. I would think, fig- I'd figure a lot of those people, right? Especially nowadays, just with everything going on, people are, the screen time is jacked up. Uh, it's so bad. <laughs> But you, but you bring up a good point. We actually had um, Becca Peasy on as a guest earlier in the, in the show. And she was, she ran, I don't know if you're familiar with her story. She ran seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. And then when I first read that, Wait, I was like, you've got to, yeah, yes. Look like Google, she's, she's from Belmont, mass uh, Google, Becca Peasy. She ran the world marathon challenge, seven marathons, seven consecutive days on seven separate continents, but she brought up a really good point, And you kind of, you kind of brought it up too, right? Like, everyone says they're busy but if you have a goal and you want to do something like making history and being the first american woman to run this world marathon challenge you've got to find the time to do it right like there's no shortcut to these to these initiatives especially if you're starting your own business you're running seven marathons in seven days like if you really want to go and get something you have to get it and you have to find the time to do it
1: of course and if you care enough you'll find the time and if you don't you don't like right that's it like if you have to go and sleep six hours a night instead of eight hours a night for a couple of weeks, like you have to do it. You'll find the time. If you have to like not go on social media, if you have to not respond to your friends for a while, that's okay. And just like, what's the level of commitment you want to give? If you don't want to give that level of commitment, that's fine, but don't
0: complain about it because everyone always has more they can give. Right. So when would you say feet socks really blew up? I mean, you, like at at one point you guys had like Ocho Cinco, Terrell Owens, Jimmy Tatro, Logan Paul, and then you land the big one with Ali Raisman. How did you get all of these influencers to, to be, you know, a part of feet socks?
1: Just hustle. Like I remember so well, um, senior year of college, myself and my co-founders, 20 years old in Amherst, Massachusetts. And I was just like, Social media is going to be a thing. This was before influencers a word, and this is when Instagram was just starting. Like, right. it's hard to think that like five years ago that influencers weren't a thing because it's so commonplace now. But like five years ago, like nobody believed in influencer marketing. Nobody believed in digital marketing or Facebook advertising. Like nobody thought that worked. Like people laughed at that. I remember thinking like we have to do this, but we don't know anyone. So we, I literally, I probably DM'd. At the time I DM'd anyone with over 100000 followers on Instagram. I probably sent 10,000 DMs. Just, hey, I love your work. Would love to send you a free pair of socks. If you like it, we could work together. And I'm not kidding when I sent like, almost anyone that had a big following at the time has a DM in their account from feet saying like, hey, I love your <laughs> work. We'll work together. Like I went, they just hustled. And then like you get connected to one person and that was my mission. I, I went like full mission. I'm like, I'm just gonna to get in contact with these people and work with these people. And luckily it worked and we got to work with some of the biggest people in the world and generate a lot of revenue from it and grow a brand. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah. And you bring up a really good point. Like five years ago, influencer marketing was not, wasn't even the conversation. And if it was, it was people were laughing at it because you had yeah. Instagram just taking off Facebook. It was like, I don't really want ads on Facebook. Leave me alone. I'm just on my social media. But nowadays, influencer marketing is, is so important. I mean, you look at duos like SeatGeek and David Dobrik, um, yeah. you know, and companies doing these, these huge brand deals with these influencers. Why, like, what, what do you think caused that? But also like, why, like why aren't companies jumping at the gun at this?
1: Well, they are, but they're doing it wrong. So like influencer marketing is interesting because like you really need a genuine relationship. You can't mm-hmm. too many companies. So in, the way influencer marketing work is everyone laughed at it at first. And no one took it seriously. No marketing departments or anything. I remember I talked to like CMOs of these companies about like Instagram and stuff. They're like, <laughs> we advertise in magazines, kid. Like Instagram doesn't work. And I'm just like, oh <laughs> my God. I don't get how they don't get it. Um, but they, some of these big companies started seeing case studies from stuff like, for example, with Logan Paul, with one post, he sold $500,000 of product for us and generated 20,000 new customers. And that's like insanely valuable. So they read case studies like that And they just think, oh, you go pay Logan Paul 300 grand for a post and it works. And that's so wrong because these brands, like bigger brands or brands that don't get it, they want to be in control of the message. So they want to say like um, something along the lines of, like if they're working with Logan, they want to be like, I love my um, Apple Watch. It's great. (laughs) It's fantastic. Go check it out. Hashtag Apple Watch. Hashtag Apple. Hashtag check it out right here. And like, they don't understand that like, That's, that's horrible. That's so ingenuine, but big companies are still advertising like that with influencers. And it's so dumb. Like even me, like I'm by no means an influencer, but I have brands hit me up all the time and they give me a pre, they're like, Hey, we want to work with you and we'll pay you like a couple thousand bucks for a post. And I'm like, sure. You want a couple thousand bucks for a post? Fuck yeah. I don't care. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, I'll do it. But then they'll give me a copy and pasted message. Like I love this because it's great. Go check it out. And like it's not authentic, and everyone knows that. Like it's just so obvious. So like, influencer marketing, unless you're doing it right, it's actually not successful. The way it works well is like, for example, that campaign with Logan. I bought this car, this three-wheeled car called the Polaris Slingshot. It's just crazy. Think it's car.
0: So sick, by the yeah, way. <laughs>
1: um, and I bought it like for 15 grand at the time, used. And I, I remember I bet Logan. I said, "Look, I'll give you my car if you can sell 20,000 pairs of socks." And it was a campaign, and I was talking shit to his fans, being like, "Your fans don't even like you, man. Like, they're not going to buy your socks. You're not going to get this car." So that was like a full fledged campaign. It wasn't like, "Hey guys, you know, I love socks. Buy socks." So
0: I think <laughs> hashtag ad. Of- hashtag sponsored.
1: Exactly. So a lot of brands miss the mark of influencer marketing because it's still really, really valuable if it's done right. But brands just don't know how to do it correctly.
0: Yeah. No, yeah, that's, you bring up a really good point. I, I, I can't stand when I see those stupid like, hashtag ad posts. It's so obvious they didn't write this because you follow them for so long and you're like, this is not your voice. Exactly. So I know for okay. a fact you're copying and pasting. It exactly. sucks. So yeah. so back to the portion of starting your own business that can really bite you in the ass. Um, you've talked about it with Forbes, with, with New York Times. Take me through the holiday season from hell in 2017. You, you've done over a million dollars in sales in the first 12 days. And but found out like 10% of those customers weren't going to get their socks before Christmas. Like what was was that whole ordeal like for you?
1: Yeah, so I mean, when you're doing a business, even when it's working really well, it has to grow at the same speed. So like, for example, all I cared about was sales and marketing because that's where I got um, happiness from. Like sales and marketing, seeing numbers, like I just like saw the numbers go up and like, I got dopamine from it. I'm like, yes, sales, more sales, numbers, higher. Yes. Um, when logistics, like I didn't care about that because that's not sexy. That's not cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, logistics isn't cool. So we were working with, um, so our sales outpaced our, our company operations and logistics. Um, right. And so we sold a ton of product, but we couldn't get the product to the customer. So, and that really, really hurt us. Um, we had, you know, probably close to $100,000 of orders that were placed before December 5th for Christmas that didn't get to customers by Christmas. And that really destroys you in the digital world because for a couple of reasons, like one, you ruined Christmas and that sucks for all these people. (laughs) Two, like customer lifetime value, you always want to think about repeat orders. Like you just lost all those repeat orders. Cause like if you order from a brand and they don't give you stuff for a month, you're never buying from them again. So you lose all your repeat orders. Two, and then on top of that too, on uh digital market, we started getting comments on all of our facebook and instagram ads like that were so good and doing so well this company is a scam i ordered on this date and never got anything they're a scam i ordered here this and that just destroys you because you're not going to no matter how much you like feet or me like you're not going to buy from us if you see right. everyone saying this company is a scam so it really destroyed us and that's like every entrepreneur and when you first start at least or almost every entrepreneur you just want to put your foot on the gas and go as fast as possible. And, um, until you've done the two times or really know you got to be pretty methodical about it and you want to, it's actually better to grow slowly and correctly than just to grow too fast in the wrong places.
0: Yeah. And on top of all that, you had an employee using the company car charging <laughs> thousands of dollars on Taco Bellers and whatnot. Yeah. But, but you still blame yourself like in the articles that i read about this like you still blame yourself why why not put it on the 3pl company that you were using or why not put it on this guy like why why was it your fault
1: uh, i'm just a firm believer that everything in life is impacted I, I have a control like let's say nothing life doesn't happen to me i kind of control what happens in life mm-hmm. um And, you know, I did mess up on those with the 3PL. We weren't, we didn't do enough due diligence on them to understand what would happen in a time like this for that employee. Like, yeah, he was a creative director and he was about to get some equity. And like, I trusted him, but I shouldn't have given him a corporate card, like a, a credit card. Like, so it was my fault. And I should have looked over that closer and I should be more careful and keep stuff closer to me. So I don't like ever blaming anyone for anything. Um, to me, it just gets down this negative cycle. So it's just like, I like to control what I can control. And like, it kind of control the situations and I don't, I don't right. want to blame anyone. But that Taco Bell thing was fantastic by the way. That like, it, it's funny. Cause like as an entrepreneur, when things start like, it's almost more like messed up in a way, but like uh, when things go bad, we kind of just laugh. Cause it's just like, oh fuck. Like you would never guess what happened now. And it happened, it happened <laughs> so much of, like you almost get immune to it. Like when, mm-hmm. like. Whenever shit goes wrong, I'll call my other friends or Parker or whoever, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, get this! Like, you thought it couldn't get any worse? Look how fuck this one is." Um, so with that, we started like, when we looked at that, I was just like, at first I was like, "Fuck!" and like, you, you want to be pissed, but then that that does nothing. Um, so we started looking at these statements, and like in a month, for the credit card bill, it was like ten thousand dollars or something, and it was like it started small, like a twenty dollar Uber or this or that, and it started escalating to like two hundred dollars at the bar bar four hundred dollars at the bar and we're like what the fuck is this guy doing and then it was like an hbo subscription and the liquor store <laughs> and then um, there was one charge it was like 72 dollars or something like at taco bell and i remember like, I, I was so so pissed and i looked at that and i was like i, was like, I, I told the Parker, i was like how the fuck do you spend 72 dollars at taco bell <laughs> like, did
0: you did you highlight that one and go like did you buy the entire restaurant dinner that night or what
1: literally yeah. do you know how much food you get for 72 dollars at taco bell Like, could you even consult? The whole
0: menu, like, twice, probably, at least. Yeah,
1: like, you must be ordering from a village. Like, it was crazy. (laughs) But in those situations, you have to realize that if you react emotionally, like, you just have to pivot your mindset to, like, okay, if I want to go and, like, curse this guy out and start screaming, is that going to get the best action I want? No. To get the best action, I have to be calm, I have to be composed, and I have to try to talk through it. So, (laughs) like, with that, we I remember we... I was fucking pissed. So like, I saw that and I was just like pissed, like pissed. I go for a jog. I try to get to a different mental mindset, but like, obviously you feel betrayed. This is someone who um, you trusted so much. And then we printed out all the receipts. And I just remember, I was just like, okay, we have to talk through this. Like, and the way we presented him was like, hey, we're on your team here. Can you just explain some of these charges to us? Because we have to explain them to, you know, our board or our investors or whatever. Can you just can we talk through these? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, come on, we're on the same team together." And he starts looking at me like, ah, these weren't me. And I was like, um, you know, I'm friends with you. And like, I see you on Snapchat and Instagram. Like, you were at all these places. Like, I remember for the past month, I've looked at your Instagram. Yeah. Email, yeah. And he's like denied. It. And I was like, look, man, like, do you have, oh, first I asked, I was like, do you have your card? Do you have your credit card on you and you get stolen? And he's like, yeah, I got it. And like, he showed me. And I was like, okay. So you've had it the whole time. He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, but like, when you, you want to get angry and accused, but you almost want to get what gets you the best outcome. And it's right. really hard to stay level-headed, but that's one of the most important things I've learned.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and then through all of this, um, you you had some you know you had um, a revelation, I guess, is la- for lack of a better term. You you okay. booked a one-way one-way trip to Thailand on a Monday morning, and you told Parker like I have a JanSport backpack that's like the classic cliche L.A. move, nice, um, <laughs> but like. And, but Parker was in full support of this. Like, like what, what was the biggest experience for you from that experience going to Thailand and just kind of dropping everything for a little bit and just kind of off the grid basically for, you know, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I remember uh, when I was, I would, I would, I run fast and like when I went, I went balls to the wall on this and like everyone used to tell me like, you're going to burn out. And I was just like, no, I'm not. That's, I'm gonna beat everyone like you you guys take breaks and i was like a couple of years of like literally not hanging out with friends not doing anything like working 24 7 all i thought about all i talked about was work and like i remember everyone saying like taylor chill out like you're gonna burn out and i was like these guys don't know like i'm gonna prove i'm gonna prove and then finally i burnt out <laughs> and i yeah and i knew it parker knew it my family knew it like i was so damaged and in a bad place mentally and burnt and tired and exhausted. And like, they all knew that like, I ran myself into the ground and that is not, like they knew I needed to do something. So when I told Parker that he's like, yeah, good idea. Cause like we were so exhausted at the time. Right. And I needed to get away. And it was like, I remember I, had, I left my phone computer. I said, all I have is this backpack on me. I don't have any technology. And I just looked on the map to the cheapest place I can get to the farthest. And it was a $500 for a run, for a one way to uh, Thailand. And I just booked to a one way and I was like, I'll come back when I'm ready. And you, you're not gonna be able to get in contact with me. I'll just come back when I'm ready. And I remember I called my mom and I was like, mom, I'm going to the, air- Parker's driving to the airport right now. I'm going to Thailand, I'll come back when I'm ready. And she was, like, so concerned for me. She yeah.
0: Like,
1: I mean, obviously so. And she's like, well, why don't you go to therapy first? Like, that might be cheaper. That might be better. <laughs> and I was like, Mom, I just feel like I really have to do this. I'm going to go. And just, I'm okay. Just, I need to go. Yeah. Um, and it was an amazing experience. Like, it um, it taught me a lot. And things like, for example, I was in L.A. And, you know, we had this. "Quote unquote successful company," I was Forbes 30. We were making millions of dollars, and and it was awesome. But like I wasn't happy inside, dude. I was I was destroyed and broken inside because I just I would sacrifice it all for this, and like that's not the way to live. And I remember just like feeling how miserable I felt every day. It was horrible. Like I was depressed. I was like really depressed, really not having a good time at all, and not enjoying life. And I remember went to Thailand and I saw these kids with like literally no clothes, just a shirt on their back, kicking around a coke can in the streets smiling and laughing and i'm like wait who's winning in life like is it me who's sitting in la just like depressed and sad like haven't laughed in a long time or these kids who have nothing but they're smiling and laughing and having a good time and that's when i kind of like rethought about how i thought about life and it kind of shifted my perspective a lot of things um just to live and go enjoy life
0: yeah how long were you there for
1: not long like
0: a week Okay. That's, I mean, for a one-way trip and to Thailand of all places, one week's pretty long, I would say.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. No technology, no anything. It was definitely an interesting experience.
0: That's awesome. And you bring up a, a really good point because we see it so, so often today on LinkedIn on facebook on instagram these 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 moguls these business moguls that are coming on their instagram and saying like you gotta grind you can't sleep you have to work till you're 65 no sleep screw your parents screw your friends like all this stuff and like people buy into that people buy into this like like grind till i die mentality but like you said like you were not happy yeah i was was guilty
1: i mean it sounded like you're impersonating Gary Vee. I'm not going to say you are, but it sounded like that. Oh, um, well, now
0: I'll never get him on the podcast. But- <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I used to, um, it's funny, my relationship and how I think about Gary has changed a lot. I used to be obsessed with him. I was like, this guy gets it. I'm going to grind like him. And then yeah. when I grinded myself to the ground, I was like, fuck that guy. He's a piece of shit. Like he's telling a fake message of this and she's destroying people's mental health he's pivoted his content a lot away from that, which I think is pretty good. And he's more about like happiness and empathy, which I think is great. He's changed, but, um, it's dangerous and it's toxic, man. Especially these people. I'm like, you see, not that I ever cared about materialistic items, but you see the people, I'm an entrepreneur. Look at my Rolex. It's fake. Look at my Lamborghini. I rented for a day for $600. And like, they're telling these fake lights, look at my big house that I leased or that I got for a one day photo shoot. Like and it just it's fucking with people's mental health it's really fucking bad
0: yeah and just yeah like to that point like the fakeness of social media that we see it's just like it cuz everything that you see online isn't always isn't real at all obviously and it's not the real story but like how do you think as someone who like maybe has like 2000 followers or and is looking up to these people like how do you kind of like tell that person to look past the the cars the the rolexes the 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 nice houses and all that stuff
1: i think first thing like anyone who feels the need that they need to flaunt that is self-conscious about something so when you're really watching those people it's like do you want to like there's a reason they they feel so self-conscious about something somewhere that they need to go prove the world like look how much money i have or look how much this i have and it's like you want to be that or do you want to be the person that's genuinely happy and you could you don't have to even post on social media and you can just be happy with the life in front of you and yeah um so i just really try to think about everyone it's easy to look at one facet of someone's life but don't think not without thinking big picture but like you know anyone with a social media following they're a fucking slave to their social media following it sucks and i know because mm-hmm. i built a pretty large following on linkedin yeah and- I'm a fucking slave to it. I gotta post content every day on there. It sucks. I gotta respond to people. I gotta do shit all the time. Like, I work for these people because I'm a because I'm a slave to them for content. Right. It sucks. So just don't look at one aspect of someone's life in a bubble. Try to look at the full picture.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, switching gears here just a little bit. When did Feet um, decide to 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 uh, pivot to hoodies? I got the hoodie on right now. Yeah. Um, this isn't an ad yet, but uh, the blanket blend, it's honestly the softest hoodie I've ever put on. But when did you guys decide to go from socks to sweatshirts?
1: Yeah. So um, feet socks was kind of more my personality of just like bright, fun in your face. Yeah. Um, And Parker's more of like a very premium quality product guy. And, you know, we weren't really seeing the numbers we wanted to hit with feet socks. And we, as we had to kind of pivot the brand and Um, the brand grew up. It really did. So it went Mm -hmm. from being like us young college kids who are hustlers to like, okay, we're a little bit older. Like we have a little bit more spending dollars. Like we like different products, like um, our style changed and that really evolved as we started liking more products that were, you know, higher, um, like higher value and more premium products. And the brand started changing as we did. And then Parker really took over feet like about a year and a half ago, probably. Andy, he's done the most amazing job on it. Like, um, so we, we're always co founders. We always work together. And there's sometimes where he's like, we're really good at like trusting each other. Like, hey, you take the lead, I take the lead. And about a year ago, he's like, I think I know what I'm doing here. And like, I want to do this with the brand. And I was like, Are you sure? And I could tell with his conviction. I was like, Damn, he really knows. He was really into this. And yeah. he took the lead. And I take a back seat. Like, and I told him this past year, I was like, Dude, I work for you, man. You're doing this shit awesome. This is your company. Like you're at the helm, and you keep you keep steering the ship because you're doing awesome, so he's doing an absolutely amazing job with feet and rebranding it, and now it's just very premium, very high quality product um
0: yeah, definitely that's really awesome yeah what what would you say is next for feet you got the you got the sweatshirts, you got the joggers that just came out what's what's like the next big thing for you guys?
1: yeah, just to get into more clothing, like I mean we've got really good at making really high quality stuff that we really like um very premium stuff that we just love wearing so it's just really i mean the the goal would be head to toe and feet and stuff yeah. that i love wearing um but yeah it's just piece by piece you can't grow too fast or try to over um extend yourself it's like one piece at a time we made the hoodie and it took us a year and, and a half probably two years to make that hoodie that awesome and it's the minor tweaks so you don't even think about in the manufacturing process but every single product run we made it better and better and better and it takes a long time to make really good product, and we just want to go slow, go methodical, and make really, really good product.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely like huge fan of the sweatshirts. They're they're super comfortable, so keep that up. Um, yeah. But I do wanna, I do wanna shift gears just here, just a little bit um, to your buddy Justin Bieber. Um, <laughs> now. Um, you were part of the team behind the Bieber burrito for anyone listening who it was living under a rock in October of 2018. There was a picture of what looked like Justin Bieber eating a Chipotle burrito horizontally. And it was covered literally everywhere from bbc <laughs> to barstool to time to usa today i heard that like beaver's mom even was like why the heck is he eating that oh, um yeah. but I, i'll kind of give you the floor because I, I don't want to i don't want to ruin the the story but um c- go ahead and you can tell the story from there
1: <laughs> Yeah, so i'm obsessed with news and fake news like i just i love how a narrative is able to shift or like how things get viral and take off so I'm, i've always been really interested in that and um I have some friends that are pretty big YouTubers, these guys, Yes Theory. Mm-hmm. And um, they are just kind of, kind of talking about that too. And we we're just like, damn, this is interesting. Like, what if we could expose how easy it is to spread fake news? And credit to them, they found this guy in Canada who looks like Justin Bieber and flew him out. And we this whole styling thing to make him look like Bieber. And um, we were just kind of brainstorming some ideas and just how can we make a story around this? And we didn't want to do anything harmful to Justin. So we do not want to make it like, Justin Bieber shoots paintball guns around neighborhood. Like we don't want to do that. So it's like, okay, I could be light with it, but also funny. And then um, just kind of reverse engineering virality. So like for, to make something go viral, it has to be easily digestible. So like, you have to be able to think about it for half a second and understand what it is. He ate a burrito sideways. Everyone knows (laughs) a burrito is. Everyone knows you don't eat a burrito sideways. Everyone can imagine. So like that is so simple that like, A, people don't have to put a lot of energy and effort to understand because people are just lazy. And then B, it's different and it's weird. And I tell this, like, I do have a consulting business, Taylor Parker Agency, and we work with a lot of brands. And we have to tell them, like, your messaging has to be that simple and has to be digestible and has to be different. So, like, feet, the softest hoodie ever. Everyone knows what a hoodie is. And when you say the softest hoodie ever, you're intrigued. So the best brands do this. Allbirds. Turns out the most comfortable shoes are made of wool. Everyone knows shoes. Wait, wool is the most comfortable. I gotta try that. And it's just so easy to understand. So we had to come up with something like that. So I came up with this idea for um, we had this fake Justin Bieber eat a burrito sideways, um, and they did it. And you know, they their production value was so good, and the way they pulled it off, um, and then posted on Reddit, it got picked up on Reddit. Then I got uh, a reporter tweeted on Twitter, and then all of a sudden it was off the races. And I remember like. We just like every couple hours we'd call or just go be like, oh my God, New York Times wrote about it, or this or that. And we're just like, fuck. Uh Scooter Braun, Justin's manager, even posted, yeah. This is why I love Justin. <laughs> that was just like the pinnacle. I was like, fuck, we got everyone. Um we ended up by guy Zach yesterday's manager and ended up FaceTiming Scooter. And he was like, I that wasn't um that wasn't Justin, that was us on a prank. And um we tried getting Justin to be on board to do something and he just didn't want to be involved in it.
0: Yeah. Did he did he ever get back get to you guys though after like saying like nice, nice prank, or did he say anything about it?
1: I think at the time he was just so sick of fucking paparazzi and all that, He was, yeah. He t- didn't even give a fuck and he was just yeah. like, I don't want
0: to deal with this. It's
1: That's- not something.
0: Yeah, but this also wasn't your first run in with the Beebs. I've heard from sources um, that you happen to be in a little music video called Confident, um, featuring Chance Rapper, and around the 4.30 mark, you can see just <laughs> a little bit of you. Uh, what was that all like?
1: Yeah, so I mean, being in LA, you get exposed to a bunch of like just random awesome opportunities. So I can't remember how old I was at the time, maybe 19 or 20. Um, yeah. And a friend called me saying, hey, uh, we're doing Justin Bieber's music video in the Valley, um, tomorrow you want to be in it and I was like wait what <laughs> <laughs> come again yeah They're like do you want to be a background dancer I was like I'm the worst dancer in the world but yes yes I want to do it <laughs> and yeah sure enough I'm a background dancer in a Justin Bieber video even like and I'm the worst dancer ever so like everyone was like doing dance moves in the back and they could tell I have like zero rhythm I was fucking up the video so like they had me like go to a girl and there's like just hold put your hand on her hips and just don't move and just like follow her lead because i was just so bad at dancing um but it's hilarious i'm in the back of it just to be a music video background do dancer st-
0: do you saw that like that clip from the like the screenshot from youtube framed <laughs> yeah at, the, at when i um screenshot i
1: put it on my wall it was pretty funny it's like just in the foreground and me dancing in the background just barely my, right there yeah it's on my linkedin as a i'm a background dancer <laughs> <laughs> and Justin Bieber's music video as a professional background dancer.
0: I love that. All right. Um, also, want to because this came up recently. I, I came up with these questions a while back when we first started to talk. But as of late, um, you've kind of been on the forefront of this with the news of TikTok getting potentially banned in the United States, and and you've you've written about it a lot on your LinkedIn. So I wanted to get Taylor's perspective. Are we banning TikTok in the United States?
1: I think it's inevitable. Um, We can't police our own social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram that are on US soil or Google or whatever, Twitter. Um, The lawmakers do not understand what's going on. And uh, someone like, I mean, you see when Mark Zuckerberg goes to a Senate meeting and they ask him like, oh, how, if you're not doing this, how do you make money? And he's like, Senator we run ads like this is so fucking simple
0: <laughs> that was the best that was the best comment ever yeah it's just like he's like literally laughing
1: about how stupid they are it's actually insane um and they'll be like well what about the? i when i opened my computer i got a virus and he's like talking about like dude i mean you're opening a windows 2008 computer that has nothing to do with facebook like why the fuck are you like the the people making the laws have no idea how to regulate the companies in the u.s that have to abide by u.s rules right let alone companies in china that have no rules so uh, i think it's a massive data breach and problem with the data that we're giving tiktok that we don't even know um and especially like if we go to war to china like they have data on everything they have they have cameras like they could be looking they could have access to our cameras right now they'd be recording everything they could be listening to everything they know consumer behavior they know how to mind fuck us just by how they choose what they show in our algorithm like whether, I don't know, like whether you're one side or the other side, like politically, like they could show you enough propaganda to, to mind fuck you the other way.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen to these? I mean, like Charlie D'Amelio, she's this 16 year old that has 70 million followers on TikTok. Like it's just incredible to even fathom. Like what's going to happen to these TikTok crazes? Like, I mean, like I- I've never seen so much more drama with these 16 year olds than I have with the Kardashians for God's sake.
1: Well, first of all, like, I feel horrible for all these 16-year-olds, not because they're going to lose TikTok, because of their mental health. Like, yeah. To get that much fame and attention at that age and that much dopamine from all that attention, it's only downhill from here. Like, It's impossible to get more attention and likes and comments and views than they're getting right now. So imagine peaking at that age and never being able to get back to that mountain or that plateau that you are at before. And that's like so fucked for the mental health. So I feel bad for them in that sense. But I think the big ones, like the Charlies of the world, she's big enough. So her audience is already translated oh, yeah. in other places. The yeah. big, big ones are big enough. What's going to happen is exactly what happened to Vine. So, on Vine, like, if you were able to transition your platform from Vine to Instagram, and I remember I lived in this building in Hollywood that like probably the top twenty-five viners in the world lived at. You Obviously. lived
0: on Vine Street. Yeah, sixteen hundred <laughs> Vine
1: Street. It was uh, like King batch Amanda Sarni, Lele Pons, Cameron Dallas, Logan Paul, Jake ball I realized David Dobrik, I lived yeah. There. Yeah, I realized they all lived there and I was like, I'm moving into this building because these kids are the future. Yeah. And that's how I became friends with them. That's how I did the deal with Logan, all that stuff. But um, with Vine, like it was interesting. This guy, Marcus Johns was the first guy to hit a million followers on Vine. He was the biggest. And people like Mark, Marcus Johns and Brittany Furlong, like Logan Paul, Jake Paul, David Dobrik, those guys you hear about now, they weren't the biggest on Vine. They were like a lot lower, but they right. were able to translate their audience to the next platform to Instagram, to YouTube, to whatever. Mm -hmm. So there will be TikTokers who still do really well. It's just the ones that are able to translate their audience to those next platforms. Gotcha.
0: All right, Taylor, this has been super fun. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate everything that you did. And uh, it was a great conversation. I do have one question, one final question for you. We ask it for all of our guests. So I know you're familiar with this guy, Dan Brazilian just yeah. finished his autobiography and he's letting his fans decide the title of his book. Now, I don't really care what you would title his book. Cause honestly I could, I could give, I don't really care. Uh, but what would be the title of your autobiography and why?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I'd call it, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> why is that? I just think it. it makes it relatable to everyone else like because no one i think there's a lot of people who achieve a lot of success and they're like i got it because i was smart or this or that like but none no one really thinks they should get there everyone's really like you're supposed to be you get you get so lucky to make it in terms of success i think it's important just to remember that and it also shows anyone like look, like i'm quote unquote successful but i'm i'm like everyone else like i'm not supposed to be here um So I think it's just a reminder to everyone, like you could be successful too, just because you're not supposed to be here. doesn't mean you can't be there.
0: Awesome. I love that. Well, Taylor, again, this has been an absolute blast. I appreciate you coming on and um, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll take, we'll keep in touch and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, man. Huge thanks to Taylor for coming on this week's episode and getting really, uh, really down to it, right? I think a lot of what we see on social media hypes up starting your own business and there certainly are, A lot of perks right you get to start something new you get to be the creator you make all the rules but there are a lot of things that can happen uh, a lot of bad things that can happen but it's definitely how you rise up to the occasion how you get over those uh those obstacles and keep moving forward so big thanks to taylor for coming on sharing his story i really hope you guys enjoyed it i really hope that you guys maybe think about starting your own business who knows starting your own podcast you could do that too uh just don't do it on wednesdays i guess but uh Huge thanks to Taylor. And as always, thank you to you guys, right? Uh, The listeners, you guys are incredible. Thank you all so much for all the support that you show. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow along with all these episodes. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your dog, tell your cat. I don't know. Maybe they listen to the podcast with you while you're listening. But uh, that does it for this week's episode, and I will see you all next Wednesday.